Hey everyone, welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show where, as you know, on Bible Discovery TV, uh, we're going through the Bible this year. Uh, like we do every year, but there are some big topics that we don't get a chance to talk about on The Daily Show or in the Bible Guide, so that's what we do here on The Weekend Show. We also love to bring in your comments and questions as well. They really make for great discussion questions, and we try to answer them as best as we can, or at least you know give you diving boards to for further thought and further research in the scriptures and elsewhere. So Matt, like, why don't you let everyone know uh, what we were supposed to read this week in the Bible? The key word there is supposed to read. You're supposed to read <laughs> yes. it. If you didn't, that's okay. So we're supposed to read uh, Mark 5 to Luke 2. So that's mainly Mark that we're dealing with this week. And that, uh, the questions we have that are pertaining to that are about the spirits and the pigs. What happened to those spirits? We're also talking about the whether Christ physically rose from the dead or was it just spiritual? And then finally, our big question, which is pretty big in my mind, or some people think it's a really big question, is does Mark 16 verses 9 to 20 belong in the Bible? So that's our big question. Mm -hmm. But for now, Corey, I think we need to, get, need to get started. And do you want to ask the first question or do you want me to? Um, yes, I'm going to ask you the first question, actually. Okay, let's do so that. this comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 10 to 13. So this is when um, Jesus is in the area of the Gadarenes yeah. and he casts demons out of the men who were living in the tombs. Right, Okay. Right. So the question is this, why did Jesus give the spirits permission to stay in the region? What happened to the spirits after the pigs dies? Pigs died, excuse me. Isn't that giving them what they wanted? And this question is from Chris. Okay. So again, you know the story, Mark chapter five, um, uh, Jesus goes over to the area of the Gadarenes. He's confronted by these um, men who are demon possessed, uh, and he casts. He has a conversation with the demons, casts yes. them out into a herd of pigs. The pigs uh, run into the sea and drown. So let me just actually just read it. Sure. Let me just read. It. Okay. It'll be better than me summarizing. <laughs> right. Let's just do that. Okay. So uh, they came. I'm going to start off with just verse one and just keep reading down. Okay. So several verses. They came to the other side of the sea and of the country of uh, Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, uh, there met him uh, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could find him anymore, not even uh, with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have, you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And then he came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had uh, been named Legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay. So the question is, 
why did Jesus give the spirits permission to stay in the country, country or region? That's a really good question. And that has to do, in my I guess mind, that by, by, I guess the assumption is that by putting them in the pigs, they were able to stay in the country. Yes. And the question then is, why not? So God, Jesus had the power here to have them leave the region, leave the country completely. Like you get out of this area, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he didn't do that. He permitted them to stay. The next question goes, what happened to the spirits after the pigs died? Isn't that giving them what they wanted? So after the, the question is, isn't this giving them the spirits what they wanted, kind of twofold? Giving them the pigs and get, allowing them to stay in the country. Um, and in a sense, I would say yes and no. It's not like Jesus is just like, oh yeah, whatever you want, I'll just give it to you. I don't think it really works that way, to be honest. Christ knows more. So Christ knows exactly what's going on. Um, and so when it comes to this specifically, why did, I don't know, apart from there being territorial spirits, perhaps Christ knew that it actually was in people's benefit that they didn't leave the country. He's not just, just going to listen to them, even though that's what they want, but perhaps it actually worked out that they wanted that. Um, so I would say that uh, them staying in the region is not necessarily like Christ giving the spirits what they want. And another set, uh, what happened to the spirits after the pigs were died? Uh, because I guess the question would then is thinking of, isn't this giving them what they want? Because after they go into pigs, they drown. The spirits are out of the pigs. They just go ahead and terrorize more people. Um, I don't think that it really gave them what they want because what Christ did was specifically, they were, they, we, are, we are one, we're legion, right? They're acting they're all speaking together as one, like an egregore. They're all different entities acting as one entity. And then Christ divides them all to 2,000 and, and, and some. Um, and they all fall in the, in the water, um, jump off the cliff. So Christ divided the legion completely. He, uh, he, he didn't just allow them to be together in one pig. He didn't just put them all in one pig, although they're in one man. So he did separate them completely. However that works in the spiritual world, I'm not too sure. But there yeah. was a dividing process happening. What were you thinking? Yeah. And I mean, we got to think about Christ's mission. What was Christ's first mission when he came here to earth the first time? It was about a building the kingdom of God first, rather than like he defeated Satan, but he wasn't specifically dealing with the demons. So the purpose of casting the demons out of all the people that he cast demons out of wasn't to punish the demons. It was to set the people free. So Christ's mission was to set the man free, not to punish the demons right away. And I think even the demons misunderstood this because they're coming to him and basically pleading for mercy, right? Because, because Jesus has the power to punish them, to deal with them. But that's not his mission in his first coming. It was not to punish the demons. It was to set people free. Uh, so Jesus focuses in on setting people free, but I think like many of the things that Jesus did when he was here, this was a revelatory act. It revealed things. Jesus is the truth. And when the truth deals with you, a light is shone on many things. So I really think this is very revelatory. It tells us two things. Um, it reveals to us two very important things. One of them is the nature of demons. Demons destroy. Demons are destructive. The demons were destroying the man here in Mark and in the other gospels where we actually learned that there was two men. 
but it was destroying them. They were naked. They were living in tombs. They were cutting themselves. They were bound with chains and, and they would break the chains. They were destroying and, themselves. And th what's neat about that too is that the chains are there to help the man from hurting himself. Yes. So there are so the strength is used as a, the demons are using his the physical strength to defend themselves. Right. So they can possess the man even further. Sorry, right. Continue. So demons are destructive. This this is what it reveals to us because they're destroying the man and Jesus sets the man free. They go into pigs. So what do they do? They destroy the pigs because demons are destructive. It's very uh, revealing of the nature of demons. But what it also does by allowing that Jesus would have known this, he knew the nature of demons. He, he, he would have known that they would have destroyed the pigs. So why did he allow them to do it? Well, when you continue reading, we realize that it reveals what is in the heart of the people. The people do what? They ask Jesus to leave because there's two things going against Jesus. First of all, he's living in a predominantly Gentile area by shown by history, but also by the fact that there's a giant herd of pigs here, right? Because Jewish people did not raise pigs. They were unclean animals. So this was a huge economic loss for the area. But also we know from first century sources that... Um, especially in the in, in in the gentile world magician like the idea of magic or miracle working it was feared so this reveals what's in the heart of the people they would rather deal with demonized people rather than having jesus christ among them so by by jesus doing this two very important things are revealed to us the reader and to his disciples at that time that the nature of demons and the nature of the hearts of the people in this area, uh, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I think that's it's really important to the narrative. And I think getting down to the nature, because the, the question is to pertain to the nature of these of these creatures, of these spiritual creatures, right? Mm -hmm. Why did Jesus give them permission to stay in the in the country? <clears throat> uh, and now, obviously, I, I think it's the heart of the question comes down to: Isn't that giving the spirits what they want? I think in both accounts, no. I think by letting them stay in the, in the country, once again, Christ knows whether or not that's going to be beneficial to people or not. Yeah. So I don't think he's going to send them out elsewhere, right, into another region. I just don't think that's, I think he they knows. They wanted to destroy the man. Yes. They didn't get to destroy that's, the that's man. That's exactly right. But they did what they could to destroy the people and to destroy Christ's witness in the area. I think, yeah, I think this story, like you're saying, reveals a lot of the nature. Because even the fact that they want to stay in the country, not asking to stay in, on earth, they're like, we want to stay in this country, this area. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, this is a territorial spirits, spirits who are there, who basically are setting out to destroy people yeah. in this area. And yep. Christ thwarted this whole plan. Um, uh, as to the exact reason why Jesus let them stay, I don't know specifically why in the country. At the same time, once again, I think it works to his favor. I think there's perhaps symbolic reasons. Like, like he knows people's hearts, Christ. He knows that you're saying that people are like, get out here. We don't want you. So Christ perhaps foresaw this. Um, I don't know the full extent. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit beyond my grasp. Yeah. Um, having said that, pigs going into the sea, pigs naturally represent the people of the world who are evil, mm -hmm. typically in the scriptures. And the sea represents death. I think that's also very symbolic. But what Christ is doing there. Yeah. As opposed to just history. But I ahead. also recently learned... Um, 
about some of uh, some Jewish teaching on demons and and water, which I think is really interesting because it provides a bit of a context for maybe how some of the people would have thought, like the, the, the original audience of the Gospels and the original audience of this miracle of God, of Christ, um, exercising this man and, and putting and allowing the, the demons to possess the pigs. Um, how they might have thought about it. And um, there were some Jewish traditions that demons could actually die, that oh. they could actually be destroyed. Uh, and also uh, there, there was Jewish teaching. There were some Jewish traditions that taught that demons were afraid of water and or that they could be entrapped in water. Uh, now, there, to be fair, there's also another Jewish tradition that talks about uh, demons, like specific demons actually living in water. So they're being water demons. There's a lot of cultural backdrop to this that we no longer have right. that I think is a really interesting way to think about it. Because by, the way that we think about the spiritual world is not necessarily how the people of Jesus's time thought about the spiritual world. I'm not saying that we're wrong. I think that... I think that um, now within Christianity, the way we think about the spiritual world has largely, not fully, but largely right. been shaped by the Bible itself, which is a good thing. And, it, and it's, a, it's a corrective, right? right. But I, I think it's really interesting because Jesus would have known those traditions. So I think it's entirely possible that he was saying something to those traditions as well by this. So I know that doesn't fully elucidate it or fully go into it, but I think it's a really interesting backdrop. But I think um, I think the main points still stand that this was re revelatory and that it wasn't actually given, giving the spirits what they wanted in the sense of um, allowing them to continue their primary mission, which right. is the destruction of humans as being in the image of God. But you, you kind of see their vengefulness and their nature in it where they're like, well, if we can't destroy the image of God, we'll still destroy a creation of God. And in so doing, hopefully get the image of God to kick the son of God out of their land, yeah. right? So Jesus allows this testing um, and the people unfortunately fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's good. Again, there's a lot of you asking why Jesus allowed certain things. I think it, I, that... I don't think we can get, come up with an exact answer. I think, that, like I said, the symbolism of the pigs going into the sea, uh, drowning in the sea, this idea that like you were saying, even I didn't know that. that the um, that I didn't either that, until recently. Right. That, that, yeah. That's interesting that mm -hmm. they believe that demons can be destroyed by water. No, I, I don't believe that. But um, but it's interesting that there was a belief. There. It's interesting that, yeah, there was the, the relationship between water and, and demonic activity. Like it, it's built into the scriptures with, you know, death being the seed, like we keep talking about mm -hmm. all the time, because that's what Christ is doing there. He's, he's sending the swine, the vermin, the, 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 the ugly things of this world. He's sending them into the sea to be gone for good. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea. Um, uh, so I'd say that. Um, Anything else to add? Oh, I just read something that's interesting. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I read this verse. Okay. Um, and those who had uh, seen it described to them what had happened to the demons of this man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Yeah. It's, it's Yeah, right. You drew this parallel earlier. The, the demons wanted to leave, uh, did not want to leave the region, right? The people wanted Jesus to leave. People wanted Jesus to leave the region. Mm -hmm. Because, that is very because again, he's, his miracles are affecting their, economic, uh, their, their economy. That's right. A big, that was a, a lot of money. That just died right. in the sea. But then also, 
uh, there's there's the fear of spiritual working and, and yes. like magic and things like that within the Gentile. Now, just to talk about this a little bit further, I think there is a belief in Jewish tradition that these spirits, these demons, were not um, fallen angels. They were actually Nephilim spirits, disembodied mm -hmm. Nephilim spirits. And the reason why, it's kind of creepy, but the reason why they wanted to latch onto humans so much is because what are Nephilim? They're beings of, they're fleshly beings that, that ought not to be their abominations of their fathers or their parents were of the spiritual world. Um, sorry, one parent is of, of the spiritual world and their father or mother, typically the mother, was of the physical world, our world. It's a human. And so they're this hybrid uh, sort. And so when they die, they're just a disembodied spirit floating around. So their goal is, the primary goal as disembodied Nephilim is to get a human body back. And that's part of the reason why they have enhanced strength, all these things that they, they embody some of the, they exhibit some of the qualities of what the Nephilim had, being the heroes of old that you hear about. Um, either way, whether or not that's true, it's, 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 it's a pretty solid argument people it's can make. It's an interesting background. That's what also they were thinking at this time. Um, anyways, really interesting food for thought. Yeah, I think that for the most part, Niels, I, I think we got it. I think we... I think we got it. We I definitely get, discussed it. Which yeah, we is definitely what we discussed aim to it. Do, so. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm always just like, can we get a specific answer? Okay, I just feel bad. Anyways, Corey, <laughs> let's just move on. All right, before I lose my mind. All right, uh, Mark 15 to 16. Yeah. Okay, it's a viewer question. And here it is I heard that Jesus did not rise physically from the dead, just spiritually. And this meant that his second coming is also not physical, it's just a symbolic spiritual reign. I don't believe it, but does this Bible actually say that this? And do Christians teach this, that Jesus is just a spiritual being? If so, why? Thanks. Yeah, no. Christians do not teach that Jesus was just a spiritual being. Um, if you come across someone who says they're a Christian and they teach that, they're not a Christian. They are false. That is a heresy for sure of the highest degree. So Jesus being uh, in the flesh and being resurrected from the flesh is the cornerstone of Christianity. So we see in John chapter 1, um, the first few verses established that the word was God, okay? So John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so then you jump down to verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so that's just a really helpful summary of what the disciples taught about Jesus, uh, what Jesus taught about Jesus, right? He, he is the Son of God in the flesh, not just a spirit that descended on a physical body, okay? So then, um, you know, naturally when the apostles saw the resurrected Christ, because they had just seen him crucified. And when you see a dead body, you know that it's dead. You know that you know. It doesn't look like someone just sleeping. I don't know. I think in today's day and age, we're very separated from death. But when you're with someone when they die, a dead body looks like a dead body. It doesn't look like a movie the person body. that you know. It doesn't look like a movie dead body. Yeah you know that they are gone. Uh, and in the ancient world, crucifixion, the practice of crucifixion left no doubt. No one was going to be surviving that. And Jesus certainly didn't. That's why they stabbed him in the side to make sure that he was dead. And he was. But naturally then, when the disciples saw Jesus, some of them 
were, all of them were freaked out. And some of them were wondering if they had seen a spirit, if it was just the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus Christ, a ghost, if you will. Uh, but Jesus puts all of that to rest. Uh, in John 20, we're just going to read a couple examples of that. Um, verses, John 20, verses 19 to 20, and we'll see how far we'll read here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're in a locked room. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So naturally, if you're in a locked room and Jesus is not in there, and then all of a sudden Jesus is in there and he was dead yesterday, you're going to think, okay, maybe this guy, maybe he's a spirit. Right. Right? That I feel like that's natural. That's a fair natural, yeah. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Okay, so the idea is that Jesus showed them his scars. I'm not a spirit. It really is me. And they believed him. Uh, then you jump down and Thomas wasn't there, right? So Thomas is feeling pretty ripped off that he's the only disciple that didn't get to see Jesus. So in verse 25, uh, Thomas, it, it goes, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So Thomas was actually able to physically touch Jesus, which means that he was not a spirit. If you jump over to Luke chapter 24, this gospel. That, this one is the kicker. This one to me is a hook, line, and sinker. Like, you, you can't contend this part. But that, that's, this one does it for you? This one, this one, yeah, this one is, is it's very vivid, um, especially verse 39. Yes. Okay, so we'll read 36, starting in verse 36. Perfect. Uh, this is the disciples. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. So he lets them feel him physically and he eats food. And then he specifies the nature of the spiritual is different from the nature of the bodily. Yes. By saying, do, do spirits have bones and flesh? Like, so it makes it very clear. He's trying to, he's trying to um, help them. Yes, you know, he knows that that's what they're feeling and that it's natural. And he's like, okay, I understand that. So here, this has never happened before. You didn't expect this to happen. Right. So here, let me help you out. I'll even add another one because I know that one is, that one, to me, that one's like, okay. But this that's one's the good. one. This one's good, dude. John 2, okay? I want to ask him. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show of us uh, doing these things? And he said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. They're all like... How can you do that? Mm -hmm. right? It took Solomon 40 years. And then he says, uh, and you said you're going to raise it over three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Bodily resurrection. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Boom. That's another one. Anyway, so it's 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 layered throughout the scripture. It's not just just like at the very end. It's even yeah. way before his crucifixion. But these are the And if you're struggling topics. with this concept or know someone who is struggling with this concept, definitely point them to the gospels, but also then the further teaching of the church on it. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians about bodily resurrection and this idea that um, we have hope of a physical resurrection from the dead. We're not just spirit. God isn't just going to redeem our spirits, our disembodied souls. He's actually going to resurrect our bodies and remake them. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about that. It's all about how Jesus was the pattern that he was physically, bodily raised from the dead uh, as, as a pattern that we too will be physically, bodily raised from the dead. And though we won't be exactly the same as we were, we will have a glorified body. It will still be a physical body. And this makes a lot of sense for the plan of God's um, you know, salvation for mankind because when you think about it, he created us as physical beings in the first place. The physical is not bad. The physical world has become tainted by sin, by separation from God, but is not inherently a bad or an evil thing. God created it, created us, our physical bodies to be good. He created us to be, you know, a spirit and a body. Uh, and, and so that's how he's going to redeem us as well. Yes. So yeah, I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And also, you know, a lot of people talk about how first in 1 John 4, um, John talks about how uh, there's false teachers going around that say, are, that are saying that Christ did not physically rise from the dead. We yes. don't know exactly which heresy he's talking about. There were several heresies that were starting. So when I say heresies, it wasn't just a separate religious group that was that was coming up to challenge Christianity. Apparently, there were Christians that were a part of the church that began to break off and teach weird things. And there was three or four groups of them doing this. And, uh, a bu- and they all, in various ways, kind of split Jesus into two different beings, a spirit being and a physical being. Yes. Um, that, I mean, that's a rough estimation of it. You can definitely look into it for yourself. But John talks about some of these heresies as well, First John. That's right. There's a big Gnostic heresy that keeps reappearing its ugly face is making the spiritual world completely distinct from the physical world. As if there's nothing overlap and they're just two fundamentally different things that that are just different. And that has been plaguing Christianity literally since the beginning. So either way, so to believe that Christ didn't rise bodily is to promote that Gnostic heresy because what he rose up, that's what he uh, redeemed. He redeemed humanity through his resurrection and ascension. All right, Corey, I got yes. a question for you. Yes. All right, so Luke 2, in regards, from articles I have read, Jesus was born in approximately 3 BC. My question is, are there articles you know of that can explain the reasoning of the year? Yeah. My wife and I really enjoy your program and are learning from it. We also enjoy the Friday question, most of which we get correct. Awesome. Tim. Hi, Tim and wife. <laughs> um, thank you for asking this. Yes. So Jesus actually, um, most scholars say that Jesus was born in 4 BC or earlier. And this is because Herod the Great died in the spring of 4 BC. Uh, But we know from Luke that Herod the Great didn't die until Joseph and Mary and Jesus had been living in Egypt for quite some time. So we know that the Magi, uh, from from Matthew's gospel, the Magi came to visit Herod the Great and said, you know, where is this king being born? 
And Herod, Herod then, once, once he realizes that the Magi aren't going to come back to him and, and identify this Messiah so that he can kill the Messiah, he sends his soldiers to Bethlehem to slaughter the boys of Bethlehem aged two years and older based on the timeline that the Magi gave him. So Herod's alive. The star appeared roughly two years before he orders the slaughter of the baby boys of Bethlehem. We know that Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt and they only come back to Judea once Herod the Great dies. Herod the Great died in spring of 4 BC. So Jesus was probably born at least 6 BC, maybe even more towards 8 BC. Now, there's further, Luke gives us more historical markers, right? So the census of Quirinius, um, it, which is a really, really difficult thing to, to find historically. There are answers for it, but it's a really difficult challenge to try to figure out the birth of Christ in this. In this. So anywhere between 8 and 4 BC was probably the birth of Christ. So there's two articles that I would recommend to you. Um, um, ABR, Associates for Biblical Research, they have... Um, an article on their website. Their website is biblearchaeology.org and the article is called Quirinius's Census. That's really helpful. Uh, then um, Biblical Archaeology Review. Their website is Biblical Archaeology. Uh, I can't remember if it's a .com. I think it's a .com, biblicalarchaeology.com. Uh, it's Biblical Archaeology Review. They had uh, New Testament scholar Ben Witherington III write an article called The Turn of the Christian Era. And in that article, Ben Witherington goes into uh, where the system of BC and AD actually came from. So BC stands for before Christ and AD stands for Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, right? Because the question then stands, well, how can Jesus be born eight to four years before Christ, right? And that's because it was based off of a miscalculation. And I had to write his name down because I always forget it. The monk, the Christian monk, who is credited with coming up with the system of BC and AD, his name was Di um, Dionysus Exegus. However, I, I'm probably slaughtering that name. He was from the area of Romania, Bulgaria, uh, and he lived in the fifth and sixth centuries AD. Okay, so he uh, he is credited with coming up with a system of BC and AD because he was actually trying to date uh, a Roman consul's reignal, his reign, his reignal years to the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, even though this system was kind of penned by this monk in the sixth century AD, it didn't become popular until the eighth century uh, AD when it was used in an ecclesiastical history. So a history of the church. Someone was writing history of the church and they decided to adopt this system and it really took off from there. So it was based unfortunately on a miscalculation of this monk in the fifth century. So. But it, we've been using it for so long at this point that there's no real point in changing it. We just ha we just get to deal with the oddity of saying that Jesus Christ was born eight to four years before Christ. Right. It is what it is. It's an oddity. But yeah, I would I would check out those two articles, Quirinius' Census from the Associates for Biblical Research and then Ben Witherington's article called The Turn of the Christian Era in Biblical Archaeology Review. Dot O-R-G. 
I just looked it up. Is it? Is .org, org is org is the is the B-A-S. Bible Archaeology, but is the it's BibleArchaeology.org, but that's Biblical Archaeology Society. No, is that's the same thing as the review. No, BibleArchaeology.org is ABR. Maybe we should just post the articles post in the comments. It. In the comment section, in the description, <laughs> it's going to be posted so that you guys There's can so find it. There's so many different options that are also similar that I'm like, oh, oh, I'm you can find it. You can find it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find it for you and link it if you're interested in reading those because there's a ton of interesting information if that's, if that's what floats your boat. And it does float my boat. It's a pretty so. fun boat to float. <laughs> All right, Corey, the big yes, question. The Let's big do question, Matt, like I've been talking for a while. Do you want to ask me this or do you want me to ask you? I'll, you can ask it to me. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. The big question that we will uh, discuss today, does Mark 16 verses 9 to 20 belong in the Bible? Okay. So the question inherently is like, is asking whether or not, because it's, you know, all the manuscripts, in the earliest manuscripts, there's no evidence that suggests that Mark uh, 16 verses 9 to 20 are there. Right. All evidence suggests that. And you'll often see this in like here in the ESV I have, mm-hmm. it says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include this portion. Um, now, the style is different, the vocabulary is different, and yeah. it doesn't appear in the earliest manuscript copies. That's right. So most, I, I think, but, pretty much all, except for one that I know of, New Testament scholar says that this was not original to Mark. Right. I have not done enough research into this question to give it its due. Because okay. I want to lean towards that it belongs in there. I just want to lean that way. Just yeah. naturally, of course, natu- for obvious reasons. Um, at the same time, you know, if it, this, let's, let's, let's do it this way. Suppose that it isn't. Suppose that it is later, at yeah. a later date, right? Now, we don't know for sure. Like, could it, it have been? It probably was. But... Right. Suppose it, was, suppose it wasn't in the original original, but then it was, uh, and a later edition came from Mark, who wrote it in there later on in his yep. life. Suppose that happened, um, and then all of a sudden it gets passed down this route, but it wasn't down in Alexandria, but it was in Galatia. You know, I'm just making things up. Yep. The point here is that suppose that happens. Well, after 20 years, maybe your vocab changes, right? Yeah. Maybe the or, way you speak, or your you style use, changes. Or you use a scribe. Or you use a scribe. Someone else writes it in, right? Or whatever it might be. Um, so I'm partial to this idea that we shouldn't rely on the fact just because it's not in the earliest manuscripts, because we don't have the originals. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have the originals and we're just relying on the earliest manuscripts, we shouldn't just say hook, line, and sinker, or you know, the puck's up here, it's over, it doesn't belong in the Bible. I just think that is not a good thing to do. Yeah. I think especially it's going because, too far. Especially because when you look at the content of Mark 16, 9 to 20, almost all of it is found in the other gospels. There's not like some yeah. new account that's being added by Mark 16, 9 to 20. And I- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot that is unknown about it. There's nothing heretical about it. There's no inconsistencies about it. Um, yeah, even the ones I've heard, I've heard people reject it because you should never reject something because of its abuses, yeah, first of all. Agreed. But I, And this happens all, you often hear people reject something because, because, of, verse 18. because of its abuses. Right. Mm-hmm. Because here, they will pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Okay. So everyone's like, oh, remember that cult in the U.S. that's doing this? And they're mm-hmm. picking up snakes, mm-hmm. drinking poison, and they're hurting people? Mm-hmm. This shouldn't be in the Bible because it wasn't there in the very earliest manuscripts. Right, but we see we see examples of this in Acts, right? Uh, ex- with um, Paul. And uh, James. Uh, exactly. So it actually happens in the books. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I'm kind Acts of Acts 28 like, and James 5. 
Talk yes. about talk about you know the the sick being healed and and then Paul, and poisoned literally and, Paul gets bitten by a snake mm-hmm. and it doesn't affect him. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy's a god, mm-hmm. right? So and he's like, no, no, I'm not a god, no. So, so it, to me, it's kind of like okay, so you to, to, you can't use the abuses to justify that doesn't belong in the Bible. Yeah, I don't think you can make a strong enough case to say that it absolutely doesn't belong in the Bible, especially given that the content doesn't hurt doctrine. It's kind of one of those yeah. things where you were saying like it doesn't affect anything by being there it it is true that if you read mark 16 it does end on a strange note right and they went out and fled to the tomb for trembling and astonishing and seized them and they had nothing uh and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid so um it basically ends on this note mm-hmm. that uh that they saw an angel but not jesus mm-hmm. and that's it so everyone's like you know just, wait sorry what where on Mark 16, if you read it, the storm rolls away, they come, and they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. It's 9, though. Verse 9 is where it, where it I, starts. I, I know. To what 20. I'm saying is it ends, six, chapter 16 ends abruptly compared to the other Gospels. It just ends with them seeing the angel, but not the risen Christ. But it goes on to 20, though. It goes on to no, verse 20. No, I'm talking about verse 8. I'm sorry, about I'm confused. If, That's why I'm asking sorry, for clarification. The, what are if, you talking about? If 9 and 20 did not belong. 9 to 20. 9 to 20 did not belong. Hypothetically, okay? If they don't belong completely at all. Oh, I see. It would abruptly and on a strange note. Yes. It would, it so just, you were saying verse 16, verse 8. Sorry, I'm at chapter eight. 16. Yes. Verse This eight. is, see, sorry. I was just trying to figure out where sorry. the confusion was. I figured confusion. it out. <laughs> sorry, I read, yeah, sorry. Anyways, hopefully the, the. Verse 8. Yeah. The and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And That's they said nothing so to anyone for they were afraid. Right. They it ends see, on a very weird note. Really weird note. You see an yes. angel, you don't see J- Jesus. Yeah. Right. So that's very strange. Yeah. Um. So is it possible this was circulating? Like this was written down and stuff like that. And then, you know, this gets added in later. Like, I certainly think it's possible. Um. Does that mean it didn't happen or stuff to get added later? Well, no. It just means the person who wrote Mark decided to add more to it, or maybe any later on down the road, it's something someone added something to it to give it more. Uh, if that did happen, so that's the question. Then should we allow? And here's the bigger part of the question: Should it even be seen? If it's if we were to say we know 100 percent that this was added later, yeah. Even though there's no error in it, there's no. Would we say it does not belong in the Bible? If well, we knew one hundred percent, I think I think it depends on when on when it was added. Like, was it added yesterday? And by whom? Yeah, was it added yesterday, or was it added really early on? And and current scholarship believes that it was added very early on. And I'm trying to, I, it escapes me right now how early, but very early. Right. Like like pretty much right away, this this was added on. I think See, that's kind of where they land. And, okay. And and the fact that it was circulated widely. Right. By the church. Um, really early on, I'm good with it. I think we, I think we right. keep it in there, right? It's not like it was added yesterday. It's not some guy going, "Hey, I've been, you know, Jesus appeared to me and said, I'm going to write a new chapter of the Bible." That we very much, yeah. we very much can say absolutely not when you when you look at right. um, some of those so things as that you see in Galatians and things of that right. nature. Yep, yeah, an eyewitness, and and we're dealing with the time period. I, I think anyway. I think. And I, I, I'm going to have to double check myself here, but I think we're still dealing with the time period of the apostles being alive and that first generation of witnesses of right. Christ. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. See, honestly, like, yeah, it, it depends on who it is and when it was done. Yep. And if it's really early on, right, and it's surrounded by immediate apostles, 
I, I don't have a problem. And again, we don't know the full cost. So I don't think we can say it doesn't belong because you can't make an adamant stance to reject it. Mm-hmm. I think that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think you're making yourself basically God at this point. Like not quite that, but you're basically saying like, I know 100% when you don't know. Like right. it's a mystery. You really right. don't know. So if you're saying you 100% know it doesn't belong, you have 100% a problem with 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 authority, mm-hmm. right? So it's like I, I yeah. Anyways, that's that's my take on that. I just don't think that's smart or wise, especially like I said, the content doesn't hurt it. So um, doesn't hurt doctrine. I mean, yeah. Anyways, gotcha. Yeah, yeah it, the things that you read in Mark 16, 9 to twenty, you can find in the other, yeah, the other gospels and or other areas of scripture. This wouldn't even have been a controversy. We didn't look at the records. Like, this it is, is like, good. This, no, stop, yeah, though. It is yeah. good to look at the records. No, it's it good. It is very helpful no, I know it is. to look I know. at the records. No, I know. What yeah. I'm saying is this is this could be a scholarly controversy. This is not it like... Is. No, yeah. but this has become like an everyday person controversy, which to me, I'm just kind of like, this is like we don't have to like inundate ourselves with this. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that particular. Like, if you want to be a heavy scholar... I think, I, 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 think, I think, though, that it shows that the translating committees who could who are translating english translations are trying to be fair and accurate and transparent with the people who are reading the scripture yeah. and i think that's a good thing yeah it's you're true, you're, you're but saying yeah, yeah but your tone says maybe not <laughs> yeah well there's so many things like they, they they take out so many things like fasting the 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 stoning of uh yeah you know uh, but look writing, at their- jesus writing in the sand they take out a lot of things that yeah. say doesn't belong in there and sometimes they just put it in the footnotes completely, and they don't mm-hmm. even re- they don't even keep it in the normal text. Mm-hmm. And I just but that's more procedural. That that, that like yes. you can't you can't just pretend issues don't exist. You can't just pretend the truth isn't the truth. Yes, but but hold on, but we're not dealing with truth and and, and falsehoods here. We're but you are with maybes and probabilities. Right, but but so, when it comes to when it comes to the when it comes to the manuscript tradition. When it comes to the manuscripts and what's actually in them, yes. the farther back you go, so, there are certain realities. Yes. Some earlier manuscripts do not include this section. I think that's fine. I think that's great. You can just totally yeah. say that. I think that's fine. Fantastic. I think to say that it doesn't belong, mm-hmm. I think, or to make it like make it like a popular question that we all need to talk about. <laughs> I don't think it's a point of to talk about. Right. Like it's not like it's like you're saying it's not teaching. There error are bigger fish to fry. There are so many bigger fish to fry, and to make this like a point of contention. Yeah. Like I'm gonna. This is the hill I die on. Again. Why are, we, why are we making mountains out of molehills here? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is just not worth it in my mind. This it has all the, the contents that you have in the other Gospels. Nothing's heretical. Like, I I don't think that this is a big deal. Especially because it's not like we I have... I agree. We I don't, don't have the original manuscripts. We can't be definitively, this was in, this wasn't. And even still, okay, we don't have the originals. We can't say definitively. Even though we're we're pretty clear based on the style and stuff. But then also everyone's comfortable with Paul writing Hebrews and the style is completely different. Okay, so, not okay, so, not everyone. People, Your but, hyperbole though yes, is not appropriately sure. applied here I'm because saying, not everyone thinks Paul wrote Hebrews. Oh, it's it, I know. I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. But the <laughs> there's point, a lot of people who don't. But the but the point to be made here is that like your style it can change over time. How you write things can change over time. So Absolutely. if it's Mark at age 30 versus Mark at age 50, he's gonna write a little differently. Sure. So like I, it, but it's also worth noting that having having an amanuensis, having someone write it down yes, for you, was legitimate and and practiced a lot. Practiced by this, Paul, even this alone makes you say you can't just dis- disregard it as not in the Bible. Yeah, we we all okay. have personal things, and this is no, but I think this is a point that yeah. we have to draw out. We all we we can all make mountains out of molehills, and we got to be careful. We got to yeah, be careful because fair. there is a hill that we should die on, and that's the salvation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that 
hill. <laughs> you know, that yeah. salvation through Christ alone. Yeah. And um, that's the hill that unites us. That's the hill that we die on. Yeah. Um, everything else is just the details. But I would like to know what you think about Mark 16. Where do you guys land on it? Have you thought about it before? Is this the first time that you're hearing about it? Um, yeah. Do you have any other questions that you would like to see them kind of talk about in the no. comments? No. So, you know, don't drink deadly poison. Don't handle serpents. And then this question if you can help it, if you can help it, <laughs> that, I mean, nine yeah. out of 10 Christians recommend not doing that if you can help it. Yeah, it's true. Made up statistics right here. Yeah. Hopefully it's 10 out of 10. I don't yeah. know you guys, but anyway, until next time, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.